Welcome to Season 2 of More Than a Sign. In Season 1, it was an interview format. We heard compelling stories of strength, courage, and humility. To keep things fresh, this year's format will focus less on interviews and more on how to succeed professionally and personally. These Season 2 episodes will build on one another, so best to start with Episode 1 and then listen sequentially. Let's do it, shall we? I've always said that I would rather compete for a listing with somebody with a compelling track record than a compelling story. A track record of success will win over someone's head. However, a compelling story will win over a potential client's heart. You need to create a great story. You need to be able to tell that story in 10 minutes, and you need to be able to tell that same story in a minute, depending on the circumstance. What's your story? Here's the 10-minute version of mine, how I truly learned to sell real estate. In 2003, my brother and I sold two companies that we had spent our lives building. They both still exist. In fact, they thrive. Reuven Brothers, a new home builder and remodeling contractor, and Wade Weissman Architecture. Together, they employ over 50 people, and the latter works from coast to coast. With the proceeds from those sales, in 2005, my brother, a partner, and I bought the Blatz Apartments for an excess of $20 million. We would take the next two years to renovate the building, market the 169 units as condos, and sell the inventory for in excess of $35 million. At one point, we were selling one out of every four condos in downtown Milwaukee. I had my own sales team, and we were killing it. But looking back, despite the success, despite being the toast of the town, I didn't realize that I really hadn't learned how to sell real estate yet. Rule number one, if demand exceeds supply, you aren't really selling anything, you're taking orders. But hubris kept me from learning this lesson, as it was high times and I had a hammer in my hand and everything looked like a nail. And then the bottom dropped out and wiped out any opportunity of converting the next community, the 100-plus Franklin apartment building on Farwell and Ogden, to condos. In late 2007, we walked away from that opportunity, and I started to look for others. I'd lost a few hundred thousand dollars. Actually, I've never been afraid to fail. And fortunately, I've always been willing to give up some of my upside to protect my downside but I lost the vision for what came next. The two things I didn't lose were hope and belief in myself. Months later, we started pursuing the unsold inventory of Landmark on the Lake. Landmark is a 28-story, 274-unit apartment building overlooking the lake at Prospect and Brady. A Chicago developer had purchased the building and began converting it to condos, as the Great Recession began to smother everything, sales ceased completely and the lender was foreclosing. Alas, we found our next opportunity. Fall of 2008, we closed on those 100 condos. In this environment, I co-signed a loan triple my net worth. Imagine doing that in that chaos. If this investment failed, it would have little impact on my deep-pocketed partner. However, it would have meant that I was starting over, completely over, in my mid-40s. I wasn't about to move my wife and kids into my in-law's basement. That is what failure looked like in my mind. Upon closing, I realized no one else, not one developer, not one investor, was pursuing Landmark on the Lake. 
I realized demand for real estate was absolutely and completely gone. I realized that my family's future depended on selling these units, and I had everything riding on this and more. We had gone from a market of confidence to a market of fear. Sleepless nights, every night. Pep talks in the mirror, every day. Assuring my wife and kids that I had made a mistake, nearly every dinner. Fuck. What I didn't realize was that things would continue to get worse. In the aftermath of my purchase, the government would rescue banks, automakers, airlines, insurance companies, and many other industries. Many lost their jobs because they had no income. Their savings and investments were cut in half or worse. And thousands were losing their homes every week because they couldn't make mortgage payments and they were upside down. I grabbed a couple newspaper headlines from that time just to put it in perspective. Lehman Collapse Sends Shockwaves Around the World, The Times, September 16th. Panic Grips Credit Markets, The Financial Times, September 18th. Worst Crisis Since the 30s, No End in Sight, Wall Street Journal, September 18th. Roller Coaster, Citing Grave Financial Risks, Officials Ready Massive Rescue, Washington Post, September 19th. House Rejects Financial Rescue, Send Stock Plummeting, Washington Post, 930. Historic bailout passes as economy slips further. Wall Street Journal, October 2nd. Job losses hint at vast remaking of the economy a few months later in the New York Times. And then a couple years later, looking back, financial crisis is the worst the world has ever faced, the Daily Telegraph. Quick sidebar. Despite the local real estate market losing 10% of its value while we were waiting to close, it wouldn't bottom out for four more years. Ultimately, the market would lose 25 to 50% depending on what city you lived in. So, I needed to sell 100 units that nobody wanted, one at a time. My focus changed from how much money I was going to make to how much I could lose, which was everything. But that wasn't going to happen. I've always been a buffalo. Buffaloes are the only animals that instinctively run into the storm rather than away from it. As a result, they get through it faster and stronger. When I was taking over the sales office, it had 14 lines. I reduced it to one. One line and it wasn't ringing. I had no income, none. I was living off savings. And this, my friend, is when I learned how to sell real estate. Rule number two, I quickly learned that in a market of confidence, you have to introduce fear of perhaps like losing out if you don't buy something right away. However, in a market of fear, which we were entering, you have to introduce confidence. You really learn to sell when nobody wants your product, when they're afraid to act, and if they perceive that they're better off waiting because prices are falling. So what did I do? I completely changed the narrative. Landmark was no longer about the past or present. It was all about the future. We spent a half million dollars renovating the common areas and created incredible models. We wanted to give people a reason to come back and look at it again. My wife, Amy, was the creative inspiration there. 
People could buy condos at bargain prices with the original 1991 finishes, or we could remodel them like the models. Most preferred the upgrades. I spent my days talking to agents across the city, talking to accountants and attorneys, mailing into apartment buildings, and creating clever marketing pieces. I sought positive media attention. Hell, I even had a kid named Joel who used to sit outside of bars at night on Milwaukee and Water Street handing out brochures. I created unheard of programs. I gave people the confidence to buy. I would protect them on the downside, but all the upside was theirs. In other words, if they bought a condo for $200,000 and had to sell for $190,000, I'd help make up the difference. I even partnered with a few people that wanted to buy but were afraid, splitting the down payment with them as well as future leasing and management responsibilities. I was fortunate enough to have a wonderful team around me, including Stephanie, Michelle, Jamie, Jessica, and Amy. Without them, I never would have gotten anywhere. The team would show the units, and when someone had interest, they met with me. What did I sell? I sold myself. I risked everything to buy 100 units. I explained why I did. What I saw in the neighborhood, in the building, in the community of people that lived and worked there. I shared what my risks and rewards were and explained that theirs would be the same. They could see and feel the faith I had in the building. I explained it was a party buying at the top, but very lonely buying at the bottom. I shared charts showing historical ebbs and flows of the market, and together we analyzed their rent versus own scenarios. Once a potential buyer was convinced a purchase made sense, the process would start all over again with their parents, siblings, or children that were in their ears telling them not to purchase. I didn't just have to sell the buyer. I had to sell the buyer and their friends and family. Over the next few years, I would sell the entire inventory. I never let up until the very last one was sold. Nearly everyone that purchased made money. In fact, some doubled, tripled, or quadrupled their equity. The beauty of real estate is that if you buy a place for $200,000 with 10% down and sell it years later for $300,000, you've actually turned your original equity of $20,000 into $100,000 of equity. You've basically 5X'd your investment. Where else can an ordinary person do that? So that in a nutshell is how I learned to sell real estate. It's my story. It's why you should hire me. What's your story? What motivates you? What makes you a buffalo? What's the 10-minute version and the one-minute version of your story? If it's great, share it with me. If it's not, call me, and together we'll make it great. For it's your story that matters the most. This podcast will be about everything I've learned along the way. Nothing is off-limits. Nothing is too effective or important not to share. We'll discuss who you need to be or become, how to build a team based on helping others be wildly successful, and how to get off the roller coaster and live a balanced and meaningful life. I'll more or less alternate talking about all three. The next episode will explore what we need to be to be successful, not what we need to do, but what we need to be. I'm Richard Rubin, and this is More Than a Sign. Thank you for spending time with me. Remember, we're all on the same team. If I can help you in any way, my email address is richard at thefrgteam.com. Special thanks to my son, Nate, who wrote and performs every instrument on the theme song 
and is taking time away from his successful music production business to engineer and produce this podcast. I love you. I'm proud of you. And I work every day to be more like you and your brother. <laughs>